A new inflation report is out with another sign of inflation receding. Plus, investors hope for some positive movement from lawmakers on the debt ceiling and a defensive portfolio. What is that? What does it mean? And how do you construct what some might call a defensive portfolio? Your market moment starts now. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. The hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Welcome to the Market Moment. This is Matt, Dave, David, Matt, Lee, and Eli. David is in the building somewhere, but he is not here with us on the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing great. All right. Chatty Cathy, you <laughs> ready to go? Okay. All right. Good weekend. I mean, any highlights? Uh, Razorback baseball. Yeah. Me and Lee saw each other at the baseball game Saturday. We there are one series left against Vanderbilt, sitting atop the SEC. Postseason begins you know, next week. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of when you get to that point, you know, summer is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Man, it's been rainy. It's been, we needed the rain. It's we been have. hot, muggy. Yeah. Mary Grace and I went to, it was Mother's Day over the weekend. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. That was the highlight. <laughs> yeah. <for> the, <laughs> yeah. Day. Football and Mother's Day. But we went, we went to Tulsa and did, both of our families are in Tulsa. So we split. We started with her family and then immediately after having lunch with her family we booked it over to my family so back to back celebrating mothers it was fun yeah that's awesome yeah it was a good weekend um got some fun stuff happening bennett's baseball tournaments this weekend oh this week yeah so opening opening round tomorrow night i'll uh update everybody on the podcast and he, next week he hit a grand slam yeah what was it two weeks he's ago got two home runs one home run and then the very next game he had a grand slam so it's been a lot of fun fun hey, times nothing like in the making nothing like AU baseball so yeah um <laughs> All right, so April inflation report released last Wednesday. CPI increased 0.4% for the month. Annual increase of 4.9, slightly less than than most estimates. Futures went positive after the news. Treasury yields lowered. Sentiment has grown that the Fed may not raise rates again in the June meeting. However, the jobs report from last week shows non-farm payrolls up 253,000 in April, which was above expectations. So, guys, we've been on this inflation thing. For a while, and I'm kind of tired of talking about it, to be honest. But it's still like the thing, right? So we got to we got to keep talking about it while it's still so relevant. Um, any initial thoughts on this last report? Kind of what to expect moving forward? You know, my my take is, you know, now it seems like for every three positive reports, now there's still that one that's out there that mm-hmm. if the Fed wanted to hang their hat on something to justify one more hike. I mean, they can. I, I at this point, I don't think one more is going to do any good, considering that it's another six to nine months before it really takes it mm-hmm. into effect. So, my take is they're done, um, unless something crazy happens between now and you know the middle of June. Um, I, I think they're, I think they're going to sit back and let the myriad of rate hikes that they did over the last six months 
take effect this summer. Mm-hmm. I I was encouraged by by what came out. I think expectations were at five percent, and it came in at four point nine percent, which is a small difference. But just seeing that inflation is coming down, hopefully that means that the Fed will slow down, and hopefully that means that the economy can continue to grow even in this new interest rate environment. So I've said it every time that we've talked about inflation, I'll continue to say it. Yes, we care about inflation, but I care much more about companies moving forward, especially in the next six to 12 months. How can they grow and develop in this new interest rate environment? You know, I mean, this may be a year or a time where the labor market just remains hot, you know, that the the jobs market stays strong. And um, and if they can accomplish everything that they've set out to do, you know, bring inflation down without really crushing the the labor market, then good for them. Yeah, I mean, I I saw this morning Goldman still was predicting that we avoid a recession. Hmm. Which is not, you know, I think most people are calling for a recession, but uh, would that mean that inflation comes back to, say, close to the target, and employment stays or unemployment stays around as low as it is currently? Do you think that's what that would mean? Yeah, I mean, well, I I kind of guess how we judge what a recession is now because I thought <laughs> how we used to judge it or kind of yeah. the the most commonly accepted version of defining what a recession is all of a sudden got changed last year. And I don't mean that in like a any kind of way other than it, it changed. So I really don't know how to define are we in a recession or not. Um, that's how I would normally look at it is <laughs> if the unemployment rate didn't spike, we didn't have two negative cons- you know quarter two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, um, and we can avoid all that and bring down inflation. Then yes, mm-hmm. I would say we've you know had the soft landing. I guess is there any more stipulations? You yeah. want to add to your definition? No. <laughs> well, I think it'll be well into 24 before inflation's back at their goal of 2%. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it may not even be at the end of 24. It might be in 25, but, I mean, I don't think it's – certainly it's not in the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, and you look at the, you know, the Treasury market, right, still have an inverted yield curve. I'm looking at the Treasury rates right now. The one and two year are still above the 10 and 30 Um the market's still predicting rates to, you know, fall in the not too distant mm-hmm. future. And so that's I think the more interesting play is if we think the Fed is coming to an end of increasing rates, mm-hmm. how quickly will then they go back to decreasing or will they just maintain for a more extended period of time? If if we have to go on the record right now, I'm gonna guess late first quarter of next year they begin Cutting. decreasing. Decreasing. Late in first quarter of twenty 20- I think that's a little early. Yeah, it might be. I th- I think that just like on increasing rates, the Federal Reserve was behind about six months, maybe a year. Uh, I think they'll probably, if they have to cut. Now, who knows if they even will have to? But if they do, I think it'll be late, late in the year, twenty twenty four. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I refuse to guess. So, okay, Erica, right. you can you can cut this clip whenever they start start cutting rates and see who's closer. Yeah. All right, so debt ceiling talks. Potential U.S. default is weighing on investors this week. President Biden meeting with congressional leaders on Tuesday. So far, there's optimism a deal will be reached before default. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen previously said a default could happen as early as June. Historically, even coming close to but avoiding a default has had negative ramifications for the market. Um, I know I've got this question a few times here in the last week or so from clients, some clients that are, you know, just kind of wondering how that this is going to impact them 
Um, my initial thoughts are they'll figure it out. I don't know when. I don't know how the market could react in the short term based on the timing of that um, getting figured out. Long term, I don't think it's a big deal um, specific to this. I mean, I think the national debt in general kind of is a big deal, but that's not kind of what we're speaking to here. Just the the fact that they're needing to increase it here in the short term. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't remember when, but I know it's been at some point in my career, maybe more than once, that they allowed the deadline to pass. Mm-hmm. They defaulted um, and then put together a, a plan of action after the fact. And, you know, I don't remember anything catastrophic happening. Um, but, I mean, it has happened. I mean, it, it, it would not be completely unique if it didn't. But and I'm with you. I, I think that a deal will get done. You know, neither side is going to be happy, but both sides will claim victory. You know, so I, I do think something ultimately will get done. I, I'm frustrated by it because I, I view it as people trying to push an agenda with a deadline that's a very forceful deadline that's just kind of playing boyishly with the U.S. dollar, saying that, well, the value of the U.S. dollar doesn't matter that much to me. What matters is that I have my agenda pushed forward. And that, that seems frustrating to me, that you're, you're playing with our credit or the, the dollar. Yeah, I mean, there's this, this is a big, long conversation. I mean, there's um, a lot of things that need fixed in Washington. And um, it's easy to constantly say, hey, let's kick the can down the road. And right once you create a budget, if you never um, – if you always just roll that budget forward – Right. It's going to be this ever compounding problem that only gets bigger. And so I do think there's a time where we have to look at where can we control spending? Where can we cut? Where we where do we need to negotiate? You would just hope that they could do it before we're, you know, two weeks out from a default. I mean, it's like, why can't we address this um, much earlier on? But I I ultimately think they'll they'll get it figured out. Um, The timing of I don't I don't know. The market may react in the short term, but once they figure it out, I think the market will look past this and know we're sure. we're in the clear for a while. So so the last thing we wanted to talk about today was defensive portfolio. So we get this question sometimes. We touched on it a little bit last week, but what does it mean to have a defensive investment portfolio? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a couple different ways you could look at this. So I'm gonna toss out some ideas that we can talk through. So first and foremost you could have a defensive portfolio just because of the overall asset allocation, portfolio allocation that you have, meaning you have a certain amount of invested in equities and a certain amount in bonds, right? So Eli, talk us through that. And it could be anything from bonds, cash, uh, certain types of annuities, anything that has what would be considered less risk than equities would be your, your allocation. So if you wanted to be uber conservative, I mean, extremely conservative. Maybe you're 100% bonds, cash, and and those sort of assets. And then if you wanted to go more aggressive, the idea would be you'd just start adding in equities to that portfolio. The typical that you might hear about is the 60% stocks, 40% bonds that we talked about several weeks ago. But that's not set and a hard, fast rule. If you can't deal with the market and the swings of the market, you may need to decrease your portfolio allocation to 70% bonds and like and 30% stocks. So it's not set. You can play with it. So someone getting defensive, it is going to be personal, right? If someone goes into kind of maybe what they foresee as a bear market um, as an 80-20 investor, getting Mm -hmm. more defensive might be being a 70-30 investor, being a 60-40. Someone who's later on in life, who's currently invested 60% equities, 40% bonds, getting defensive is going to be even less Mm -hmm. in equities. And so it is going to be dependent on the situation, but ultimately just meaning 
increasing your allocation to fixed income, cash equivalents, um, products is going to make your portfolio more defensive. Yeah, when you're looking at the overall portfolio as right. a whole, yes. Yeah, so another way you can get more defensive is looking at the types of companies that you own. So, Lee, talk us a little bit into, you know, if we're only looking at equities, how could we be more defensive? You know, you know, with, with equities, there are those equities that are straight-up growth stocks. You know, your Amazons, Googles, NVIDIAs of the world, Teslas. I mean, you're not looking to those companies to throw up any kind of dividend. You're looking at them for price appreciation. You want to buy the stock at 100 and you want it to go to 200. Mm -hmm. um, those are offensive, if you will, or growth type categories. But for, for the client, and we have many of them, and this is how we position a lot of our portfolios, for the equity investor that wants to remain in the market, um, but if you feel like that the, the economy is going to slow down, we may go into a recession, you want to go a little defensive, as we've been talking about. So you might look at utilities. You might look at consumer staples, the kinds of companies that are going to sell their product regardless of what's going on in the economy. For example, a Walmart. You know, if things get tough, if the unemployment rate goes up, people start losing jobs, they're going to buy what they need, their staples, at a Walmart. Mm -hmm. You know, Walmart's cheaper than a Target. Walmart's cheaper than Nordstrom's or Dillard's or so forth. Um, if you want to eat out, you know, you're going to eat at McDonald's versus, you know, an Olive Garden or a Ruth Chris Steakhouse. So, you know, people make choices in, in these tough times. And so these sectors within the equity market um, are how you can still stay fully invested but remain defensive. You know, before our podcast, I used a football analogy, and I actually thought of a, a slight variation to that. If you think of if you think of on the football field, offense and defense, offense, you're trying to score defense. You're trying to keep the other team from scoring. Well, you know, if you just go to all cash, if you're worried about everything and you just take all your cash, well, essentially you're saying, I don't even want to play the game. Yeah, I'm out. Mm -hmm. You know, you're out, you're in the stands, you're going to watch other people play football with defense. You're trying to keep the other team from scoring, but that doesn't mean that you can't score or you can't do some offensive Get type interception you can't score and run points. For a touchdown. That's correct. And so the same thing in investing is you're trying to protect what you have. You're trying to keep things from getting really bad. But at the same time, you know there's going to be opportunities to score. And that's why you reposition your portfolio like we've done here at Mach 1 for a lot of our equity clients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like utilities, right? You, you're in the middle of a raging bull market utilities are super boring yeah. right it's like people mm -hmm. are frustrated because they're going to lead to underperformance to the major indexes and growth companies and you know they're just going to be sitting here kind of chipping away yeah then you get get into a market like we've seen the last 12 18 months right utilities is kind of the the heroes the, the winners right they're just sitting there hey everybody still got to pay their electric bills still got to pay their energy bills still got to and spitting off dividends they're well, you yeah. know and so well, and healthcare is one, you know, when we, we mentioned con consumer staples earlier, you know, toilet paper, toothpaste, deodorant. I mean, just the everyday things that you mm -hmm. don't even think about. That's what people are going to continue to use in a market like we're. Well, you look in. at So if you if you have like a personal budget, right, and you start looking at your fixed expenses, things that you can't really control. Yeah. They are there what they are. Look at the companies that control that or are a part of that fixed part of your budget those are going to be a lot of the companies that are also a part of more of a defensive portfolio, right? Yeah. You're going to have to pay those bills no matter what. Correct. And so um, so that's one way is just looking at the types of companies that you own. Mm -hmm. I think it's before we 
hopped on this podcast, we were talking through defensive equity allocation. And one thing that should be known is even if you are invested defensively, that doesn't mean that you won't go down. Correct. Right. We were just talking about that. Companies, exactly. You can still experience 30, 50, 70% if the company is badly managed and right. does something illegal or there still can be drops. You still have equity risk, yeah. even in defensive equity yes. positions. Right. Absolutely. So another position, another way you could be more defensive is having like a long short portfolio. So we do some of this here with our, with hedging, right? We utilize options to kind of overlay a, a hedge on the portfolio, mm-hmm. you know, against kind of catastrophic uh, market wide risk that can come in from time to time. So that's one thing you can actually act like literally short stocks. So a lot of hedge funds will do this. People that, you know, both go long stocks and short individuals companies. So um, you could be more defensive there. And so you're right in a couple different directions. You have the opportunity to be right in both directions, which can make the portfolio more defensive. So the long and short of, you know, with the bear, the, the, the bear market that we've been in for a while now, Things just, the market kind of grinding forward, not really moving any major way up, down. Um, We get this question a lot. Like, how are we positioned, you know, in a defensive way? Are we positioned for growth? So the the reason we kind of wanted to touch on this was, it you can go about this in multiple ways, right? You know, and one thing, you mentioned this range that we're in. You know, there's a ceiling, it seems like there's a floor, and we're just kind of bouncing around in there. And that's one another reason why dividends mm-hmm. are considered a very popular tool during this period of time. The dividends are defensive. The phrase, you get paid to wait. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're kind of in this range for months and the portfolio is throwing off 3 or 4% yield, well, you're getting paid to wait as opposed to if you're in a company like Amazon or Google that does not pay a dividend, then... You know, you there, there's nothing coming back to you during this period of time. Yeah, yeah. So, depending on who you are, depending on your risk tolerance, stage of life, getting defensive uh, may or may not be the right call for you, right? And there are different ways you can go about it. So, work with your advisor. If you work with somebody, you know, ask them what's the best approach for you, um, and if, if if you should even make adjustments mm-hmm. during times like this. I think the the difficult part for some people when they hear how we're discussing this is it's not black and white. It's not, you can't say, I have a portfolio that is extremely defensive and it it cannot go down because most of everything, even if you are positioned defensively, can go down. There's some gray area where we're not saying we're taking full risk off of the table. We're still trying to, like like Lee said earlier, we're still trying to score, but in the effort of trying to score, there still is risk within the portfolio, within my investment. Correct. And I think oftentimes people might say, well, in a defensive portfolio, you might actually throw in real estate. So you you might say, well, real estate has had less down years than the market. It's like, yeah, well, if you do it correctly, mm-hmm. and if you are able to go out and you're able to find a deal and it cash right. flows. So there's there's risk in all of it. This is just some different ways that you might be able to structure a portfolio yeah. defensively. Yeah, well, good conversation. Uh, we got the inflation numbers, um, got the, def- the debt default um, which is still kind of ling- lingering out there. We'll see what happens over the coming weeks with that. I'm sure we'll be touching on that some more. And then defensive portfolio conversation of how to go about that if you should um, and the multiple ways that you can accomplish that. Any parting thoughts or 
conversations that you want to have before we jump off here? No, good conversation. Now we'll just kind of wait and see over the next few weeks, see what happens in Washington. Absolutely. As always, we want to end with a thought of the day. This one is from Edmund Hillary. I got the name right this week. Yeah. Um, he's one of the first two mountain climbers to reach the summit of Mount Everest. But Edmund Hillary, it is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Pretty good one. Good one. Yep. All right. As always, we appreciate you listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on The Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.